This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. Good afternoon, everyone, on this beautiful fall day. Well, we're certainly having the weather, aren't we, Dave? I bet you're out all the time with the dog, aren't you? Yes, indeed you are. Oh, I know you. <laughs> well, October is ADHD Awareness Month. Years ago, if you were considered to be chatty or distracting or distracted or not paying attention, disruptive, you were thought to be lazy, not working hard enough, not caring. Now we know that attention deficit hyperactivity disorder is a neurological disorder that can have profound impacts on the way in which a person processes information. It's one of a number of so-called hidden disabilities. And while people diagnosed with ADHD can struggle with certain routines and organization, they can also succeed in a variety of ways. Some notable people with ADHD include actor Johnny Depp, multi-instrumentalist and rock and roll royalty David Grohl, entrepreneur Sir Richard Branson of Virgin Atlantic fame. The list goes on and on and on. Well, our guest today is Dr. Janine Hubbard of the Association of Psychology of Newfoundland and Labrador here to talk to us a little bit about ADHD. Hello. Good afternoon, Linda, and thank you for having me and for covering this topic. Yeah, absolutely, and such a beautiful day to do it. So uh, what exactly is ADHD, your attention deficit hyperactivity disorder? Um what I will tell you is it is a neurodevelopmental disorder, as you mentioned, which means it, it means that the brain of someone with ADHD is just wired a little bit differently um, than those without the condition. Uh, we know that it, um, you know, we've, we've debated over the years kind of what it looks like. Our current understanding is there are three different subtypes, and this is also why you will never encounter two people with ADHD who present exactly the same. We have what classically people have thought of, the hyperactive six-year-old, usually boy, running around the classroom, the hyperactive impulsive subtype. Uh, these are the, I label it, it's the, well, it seems like a good idea at the time kind of thinking, or those who have difficulty sitting still, difficulty uh, staying in line. Um, as adults, it might look more like things like um, it might impact your driving or gambling or spending habits. Um, anything that tends to be that little bit more impulsive, the hyperactivity can come out in a more channeled way, um, but there's still a lot of motor activity. That's what people classically thought of. If I said the Bart Simpson or the Dennis the Menace, that's kind of, you know, the stereotyped version. Second type we have is called predominantly inattentive. Um, and that type often gets missed or is much later to be diagnosed. It's the daydreamers. It's the... Um, you know, uh, easily distracted kids who often get misinterpreted as being uh, disobedient because you've asked them to go and do something and you go and look for them and they're busy doing a completely different activity um, because they've either been distracted by it or they've just forgotten what it was that they were sent up to do, especially if it had more than a step or two involved. Um, and then the final type is the combined type. So it has features of both uh, the hyperactive impulsive and the inattentive. And like I say, different people and at different ages present in different combinations of all of those symptoms. 
So uh, someone with ADHD, what kind of impacts does it have on what they do and how they do it? Well, and this is where I want to be careful because there is... Um, there's a whole host of both positive and negative impacts. A lot of the negative piece um, that you'll sometimes hear about often has to do with people who either haven't been um, diagnosed or assessed or perhaps uh, haven't been appropriately treated or had their symptoms managed. So we know it can have an impact on things like your employment history. It can have an impact on things like relationships. It can impact things like um, substance use. Uh, it can impact things like rate of incarceration. We um, Same thing with like car accidents. Um, there was some fascinating research early on in the pandemic that individuals with ADHD were more likely to contract uh, COVID. Um, it's the winding up in uh, potentially dangerous, risky situations or difficulty with the follow-through, difficulty, um, like I say, for things like um, being on time, getting work done. All of those are things that can certainly impact. On the other hand, we know that individuals with ADHD, especially when it's um, properly addressed and treated and understood, can be incredibly productive, can be very creative. If you look to some of the fields that um, tend to draw people with ADHD, you've got the entire performing arts community. Um, you've got things like um, emergency medicine personnel, whether that's EMT, whether that's um, people who work in the OR or the ER. Um, we've discovered that uh, individuals in media, um, because of those fast-paced deadlines and that rapid uh, turnaround on some things, can again be an area that really appeals to individuals with ADHD. And definitely the entrepreneurs of the world, the outside-of-the-box thinkers. Now they'll do really well if there's somebody who can then assist with the carrying out the more mundane, boring tasks, which is where an individual with ADHD is kind of ready to move on to something else. Um, but with supports, again, there's a whole lot that can be um, channeled, I guess. I often hear people say, well, you know, she, she can't do these things. She just doesn't have the attention span to do this. But man, when she's on this, yeah. you can't shake her from it. So what is, what, what is it about hyper-focus as well? well that and that's actually one of the biggest misnomers and probably one of the biggest problems with the actual label that we use. ADHD is not a deficit in attention. It's difficulty regulating attention. So it means that sometimes too much attention goes to one thing or that um, you, you know, know exactly what it is you're supposed to be focused on, but your brain cannot get away from the, you know, um, hearing the ticking of the clock that's beside you on the desk. So um, the other thing is ADHD is the disconnect between really good intentions and carry through. And that's not because somebody is lazy. It's not because they're unmotivated. Uh, it's not any of those things, even though individuals with ADHD are constantly blaming themselves and feeling that way. It's a disconnect between where the attention needs to be and where the brain is letting it go in any particular given moment. <laughs> And you're sort of touching on something because I know um, that uh, ADHD can also affect a person's self-esteem because oh, yeah. uh, they're trying their best in a world and people are noticing that things are not quite getting done as they should be done or how they perceive they should be done. And uh, they'll often ask a question like, what is wrong with you? Why are you doing it like that? Why are you making those noises? Why are you doing, you know, and all of a sudden a person starts to feel like, oh, I can't do anything. 
Yeah, and I'm hoping we'll get a chance to talk more in depth about uh, diagnosis of ADHD in adulthood, where, yes, that is an even bigger factor if it hasn't been diagnosed for all those years. But kids constantly hear the, no, don't, stop, um, you know, those negative messages, um, but they also give them to themselves. It's the, ah, you know, I meant to I meant to try and wait my turn, and I didn't mean to blurt stuff out, and I didn't mean to annoy my friend, and I didn't mean to do this. Um, so there's both external negative messaging, but then there is. There's a huge amount of internal messaging because these, you know, these kids, these individuals, they're smart. Um, they, uh, I mean, it affects anybody. It can affect people from all walks of life, all kinds of educational skills and abilities. Um, but again, it's that disconnect between the, I really want to do well, I really want to do this, and why can't I? And I had the best of intentions, and I thought I'd done everything on my to-do list, and then suddenly I realized, actually, I forgot the most important thing that was on it. Um, so you're quite right, um, understanding the impact that it has in terms of self-esteem. Um, and again, I think we'll talk about this in a little bit. Really, we're now understanding that regulating of your emotions is actually another core piece of ADHD that we're really just now kind of starting to properly understand and understand just how much of an impact it has. Our guest today on On Target is uh, Dr. Jadine Hubbard, of course, with the Association of Psychology of Newfoundland and Labrador. We're talking about ADHD. This is ADHD Awareness Month. We'll be back right after this. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. Our guest today is Dr. Janine Hubbard. This is ADHD Awareness Month, and we've been talking a little bit about the neurological uh, neurodevelopmental disorder. Um, when is ADHD typically diagnosed? A really great question. What we know is that symptoms are often present right from infancy, but we also know that there's a wide range of behaviors that we see in those early years. So we typically uh, won't diagnose a child until about the age of six. Um, and then in adults, when we're looking back at their history, um, you know, it may not have been quite the degree of impairment, but we want to see that there were symptoms happening prior to the age of 12. So basically, ADHD is something that you are born with. It affects you in different ways at different ages, um, but we know that it's not something that suddenly appears in um, your adolescent years or your adult years. However, what can happen is that symptoms that have always been there, or for example, I describe a lot of people who have kind of been, say, treading water and getting by, um, especially if they're bright, all of a sudden the demands of their world or of their life change, and that's when suddenly those symptoms uh, start to become impairing. So it's not that somebody develops ADHD um, later in life, but it is that there's always been a history of some of those symptoms being present, but they've been manageable. And then, so sometimes we see it uh, with the shift to junior high. Sometimes we see it with the shift to high school. I see a lot of kids where they do okay with, an, uh, with a 60-minute class, but suddenly trying to maintain focus for 75 minutes. Doesn't sound like much to most of it, but, but that can really make a difference. A lot of uh, students, it's the shift to post-secondary, or in some cases, it's working. Uh, for some uh, people, it's you know trying to juggle parenting with work, with marriage, with life. It's any time that kind of the demands of life 
life shift. So not surprisingly, when the pandemic hit and suddenly life routines and structure changed for a lot of people, um, we had people suddenly, you know, say, missing some of the structure and support that they'd had in the office or really trying to multitask at home, trying to do work, plus maintain a household, plus deal with kids who needed to be homeschooled. Um, and I mean, that's overwhelming for all of us, but there's a degree to which it then kind of had things fall apart. Same thing watching some of the kids. Uh, some of them really did well with the online, and a, a lot of cases, parents kind of looked and went, oh, now I understand what the teacher's been talking about. My child is really struggling trying to do this. Um, so it's, like I say, looking for those developmental changes or life changes that may um, really kind of put, I guess, put a new set of lenses on an existing uh, set of symptoms. And you say the symptoms are, are usually there from birth. Uh, I can just imagine now uh, symptoms that might be overlooked when a child is five, because mm -hmm. the child is five, if you know what I'm saying, yep. all of a sudden become more pronounced or obvious when they're 12 or 15 or 21. Well, the, absolutely. And that's just it. And that's also why we don't necessarily do a premature diagnosis because we know that the variety of, say, activity levels of five-year-olds is huge. We know that the experience of going to a structured uh, school program versus a home-based daycare versus, a, you know, um, raised at home with Nan and Pop um, and the contact with siblings, their amount of social exposure, it's one of the reasons why we want them to kind of have had a uniform experience uh, in school, having to follow the rules and the routine and having to follow instructions from someone other than parents uh, really kind of helps to normalize things. No, there are always kids who are going to be a little bit more active um, or kids who are a little bit more distractible or kids who are a little bit more inattentive. It's always a question of is it impairing? Is it impacting? Um, I give a lovely example that I saw um, a little while ago. Uh, this is also why it looks different in girls. Um, little girl would, when the teacher was ready to pass out sheets to the class, would immediately leap up uh, without being asked and take the papers from the teacher and say, oh, I'll pass those out. Well, guess what? That gets perceived as a really helpful activity. That's that's a child who's engaged. It's a child who's, um, you know, helping out in the classroom. Actually, that child has just given themselves a movement break, but they've done it in a way that's socially acceptable. Um, so, like I say, that's when you go back and you look, when you really look at that detailed history and you realize, oh, okay, maybe some of those things that were being praised, maybe they were actually signs and symptoms of a way of a child coping with the ADHD without us realizing it. And that impulsivity as well. Um, do people with ADHD, are they able to pick up social cues? Oh, they can pick up social cues. No question. It's not, I mean, yes, there is an overlap and there's a lot of research looking at the commonality and differences between, say, autism spectrum disorder and ADHD. It's sometimes that they, um, sometimes they're missing some of the situation. Um, so it's not that they can't, but they may not be, again, attending to the right piece of information or the right part of the conversation, or uh, they're interrupting a conversation because they're so excited to share something that has come to their mind and they don't want to lose it, that they interrupt. So that kind of can be interpreted as missing some of the social nuances. Um, they, uh, especially with 
kids, and again, this is some generalizations, but they're usually not the ones starting trouble, but they are often the ones who get caught and get punished. And that's what I mean about the they're getting carried away and caught up in a situation, and they're not noticing that the teacher has actually come in the classroom. All the rest of the kids are going, Shh, you know, stop it. And so they are often the ones that get caught. Again, we go back to my earlier comment about um, some of the incarceration issues um, and contact with the law. It's sometimes making some poor choices. Sometimes it's making some impulsive choices without really thinking through the consequences of it. Um, and sometimes that can be very minor. And sometimes, unfortunately, that can have much more major um, consequences down the road. And you just touched on it there, but uh, what sort of coping mechanisms do people with ADHD often use? Well, uh, first of all, one of the things that we see is a lot of self-medicating, especially in teenagers and adults. Um, it's actually one of the reasons where retrospectively, if we have someone presenting for substance use uh, treatment, going back and looking to see was there actually perhaps an underlying undiagnosed ADHD that was causing the um, drive or the desire towards, um, like I say, some self-medicating. Um, heard a presentation recently. It was fascinating. It was a young woman who, you know, wound up in uh, treatment for substance use disorder she was the farthest thing from a party girl you could possibly imagine. She was using cocaine, little bits at a time, so that she could clean her room on a Saturday morning. Wow. Yeah. It's so qualitatively different when you peel it down. Um, but it is also one of the reasons why, um, you know, there's a lot of concerns and myths out there about um medication. But what we know, and in some cases, it's like I say, drugs and alcohol. In some cases, it may be um, overeating is another area because all of these are things that make you feel good temporarily. They um, help basically what we call the dopamine fix. It's the that little burst of, oh, that feels good. Oh, that feels good. Um, because we know that that's something that the brain in all of us is always looking for, but somebody uh, with an ADHD brain is seeking it out even more. Our guest today on On Target is Dr. Janine Hubbard. We're talking about ADHD. This is ADHD Awareness Month, and I'm sure there's a few people listening now who are sort of nodding their heads and going, aha, I'm starting to figure this out now. Uh, we'll be back right after this. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show, midnight on your VOCM. And we're back. October is ADHD Awareness Month. Our guest today is Dr. Janine Hubbard, and we're talking a little bit about uh, the neurodevelopmental disorder. And I think, um, Dr. Hubbard, that uh, uh, one of the myths, if you will, that people carry around with them is that ADHD is, a, is an overstimulation of the brain, but it's actually quite the opposite. So what are, what are treatments available and what exactly do they do? Uh, really great questions, Linda. And thank you, because you and I have chatted about this a few times in the past. Uh, we do. We know that there's this idea that, okay, well, that hyperactivity means, you know, um, people are overly active. And in reality, it's almost um, 
a sluggish brain. I don't like using that word, but it's the people with ADHD are fidgeting and moving because they're trying to activate or keep their brain engaged. And the best analogy I can use for treatment of ADHD is like all of us. Uh, anytime you've had to work on a project that requires some intense concentration, whatever that is for you, most of us as adults pour ourselves a glass of um, you know, Pepsi or um, some coffee or some tea, something with a little bit of caffeine in it. We also, on a regular basis, get up, we stretch, we move around, we go for a little wander, um, we give ourselves little movement breaks and attention breaks, um, and we try to structure our environment so that we're not distracted if it's something that's going to take a lot of our concentration. You know what? ADHD is very much like that, um, but what we know is somewhere somewhere in the ballpark of 70 to 85% of individuals with ADHD do respond really well to medications. Um, and I know there's always this reluctance and there's this fear, because, and especially early days, we did a lot of treatment with uh, very short-acting uh, medications that can be diverted and are at risk um, you know, in terms of abuse properties. What we know now is frontline treatment is actually what we refer to as an extended release or long-acting medication. So that's something that goes in and is active in your system and kind of uh, releases little bursts of the medication throughout the day for somewhere between, oh, uh, 8 to 10 to we've even got one that does like 16 hours of treatment. Um, and we know that that can have a significant impact. Um, I love the analogy of uh, treating ADHD is like giving somebody glasses for the first time. Um, you guys can't see me here. I'm someone who has worn glasses most of my life. And can I get through the day squinting and, um, you know, looking really hard and working at some of these things? Sure. How exhausted am I by the end of the night? How much damage am I doing in terms of, you know, headaches and neck strain and all of those kind of things? ADHD, people describe it like being given glasses. If you've ever seen uh, the videos of the little babies, you know, getting the cochlear implants turned on or wearing glasses for the first time, and you just see this looking around going, wait, is this how the rest of the world perceives things? Um, and when you talk about people who found the right treatment, it really and truly can be life-altering um, because we have lots of people who are very successful but they talk about the amount of effort and energy that has gone into getting to that stage, that they were always the ones who had to work three times harder as their classmates. They had to review things that many more times, and it wasn't because they weren't smart. It was the effort that was involved in it. Now, we also know, though, that treatment for ADHD needs to be multimodal. What that means is it's not just about here, take some medication. It needs to have things, uh, certainly like a lot of education, around uh, both for the individual and their family and their loved ones and teachers and sometimes employers. It's understanding about the condition, but then it's whether it's making accommodations or whether it's uh, figuring out some adaptations. Um, it could be listening to somebody with ADHD who says, you know what, this is the time of day that I do my best really creative work or I do my best heavy thinking work. And you know what, actually, between the hours of such and such and such and such, like, 
you need to find me something else to do because I'm just not going to um, be productive during that time. It could be something like um, making sure you're using uh, timers and gadgets and things to help with reminders. Um, it could be, we talk about people often being really time blind um, so that they lose track of time really easily or they don't estimate time very well. Um, even something as simple as, you know, using a map app on your phone that actually says, this is how long it should take you to walk a distance, or this is how long it should take you to drive it, um, can be really helpful for people who have difficulty, like I say, often underestimating how long something like that might take them. It can be something as simple as a cap that you put on your medication that tells you, this is when this bottle was last opened. Um, to help with uh, reminders uh, along those lines. Uh, there are so many adaptations and supports that can be done to really maximize productivity and decrease some of that stress. And like I say, a lot of it is family work or couple work or understanding with loved ones the, you know what, they're really not trying deliberately to be late. It's not that they're being inconsiderate. It's that the ADHD brain kind of kicked in. Um, and so sometimes it's working with couples to figure out how do we delegate tasks. Um, this isn't an official part of the diagnosis, but there's an interesting discussion going on on Twitter at the moment for ADHD Awareness Month, uh, talking, people talking about their quote-unquote ADHD tax. That's all the late fees and penalties for not submitting things on time, for paying late fees, for forgetting to cancel that automatically renewing service. Um, the fact that individuals with ADHD, yeah, often struggle with things like getting bills paid on time. And again, it's not a lack of willpower. It's not a lack of desire to do it. It's that um, it just gets away from them. Birthday cards are terrible for me, I always have the intent. Oh, oh yeah, no, they've yep. got a birthday in October. Yep. Uh, and then I look at the calendar and go, oh, it's November. Yep. And see, that's that disconnect between the really good intentions, really meant to say, hey, I, you know, I'm thinking about you. Um, I'll be honest, a lot of people found those Facebook uh, reminders about birthdays really helpful. Um, some people, just as an example, if, if something like sending birthday cards is really important to them, on the first of the month, they'll schedule some time that says do the birthday cards for the month. Um, and, you know, there's time specifically blocked off for that. So it's figuring out where, are, you know, where is an individual struggling and then what are some strategies that can be used to uh, help out. So if you're diagnosed with ADHD, either as a child or as an adult, does it mean you have to be on medication for life? It doesn't. Uh, for some people, it might. Um, what we find is, as always, we, and I mean, this applies to any kind of um, medication or treatment, we treat the symptoms that are uh, impacting and impairing. Uh, so, for example, some people, um, you know, use the medication to get themselves through school, and then they might wind up in a job that really pulls to their strengths, and they're kind of like, yeah, you know what, maybe I'm okay without. Um, and then there's other people who uh, acknowledge um, that, no, you know what, this impacts so many aspects of my life. It might not impact 
impact them all severely. It could be minor impact, but it's pervasive enough that they say, you know what, I value my social life, I value my relationship, I value work, I value, you know, my driving skills, I value all of these things so that even if they're not really severely impacted, I can see enough of a benefit that it's worth continuing. Uh, Again, in the ever-evolving world of ADHD, once upon a time, we talked about giving people drug holidays over the weekends and over the summers, and really the research seems to be supporting that if it's something that's helpful, that taking those breaks actually means you're almost um, kind of going into a bit of a jet lag when when you stop and then you're having to recover again each time. Um, so there's, again, it's talking to your physician, your prescriber, your therapist, whoever is uh, looking at those interventions with you and figuring out what works best for you. Because as we've sort of been saying, ADHD looks different in every individual, which also means treatment looks different in every individual. Is there a genetic component? Do you find you're often diagnosing or pointing people in the right direction towards diagnosis once the child is diagnosed? There is a huge genetic component. Um, And actually, that's uh, something that we are, again, continuing to understand. Um, But that's, and that's also why we're getting a better understanding of some of the adult ADHD now that we look at that genetic link. So that, yes, if you or an immediate member of your family has received a diagnosis of ADHD, it is really worthwhile considering who else in the family may be impacted Um, because, um, again, sometimes it can go the opposite. Sometimes it is picked up in an adult, and then it's really important to be looking at the kids and saying uh, what's happening. Or if someone has been diagnosed, it's saying to their adult brother or sister, hey, Especially if you kind of look at some of the pattern of behaviors and, um, say, employment history or substance use history over the years, or just sometimes their level of exhaustion, and go, hey, you know what, this has just been diagnosed, and we know there's a really strong genetic component. Um, Why don't you do some of these screening questionnaires just to see whether or not this is something that might apply to you, and it might be something that you want to uh, follow through on? Do you find uh, adults more open to that idea and, and the possibility of, of um, going on medication, or do they tend to say, no, I've coped till now, I'm going to keep going, don't well, worry about me? It, it's interesting. You get a bit of both. And what I always say to people is, look, even if you decide that you don't want to pursue active treatment at the moment, pursuing and understanding this about yourself can be so life-altering um, that it, uh, whether it's understanding patterns of behavior, whether it's understanding past history, um, actually, unfortunately, I've had a number of people reach out to me over the last little while saying, well, I reached out to my family physician and they said, well, you're successful, you're doing fine, why do you need to pursue this now? And partly because there is a vast difference between surviving and thriving Um, So, yes, they may have been highly successful, have achieved lots. Um, We had a uh, panel recently where we talked about uh, physicians and, you know, uh, people with advanced graduate degrees and all kinds of formal education who weren't diagnosed until much later in life. 
And so it's not that you can't be successful with untreated ADHD, especially if you, uh, you know, have good supports that you may not have even realized were supports. Um, I use the analogy for ADHD. It's like you can decide if you're a duck or a swan. To the rest of the world on the surface, it looks like everything kind of cool. You're just you know, moving along through life, what they're not seeing is the intense paddling underneath. They're not seeing the last-minute um, rush to complete for deadlines. They're not seeing the waking up in the middle of the night going, oh, my goodness, I forgot to do this. They're not seeing the stress that is caused trying to keep up that level of success. And sometimes that's the wear and tear that is the difference between, like I say, kind of existing and thriving. Um, so it's it's really worth pursuing. Uh, we also unfortunately have some medical uh, stats in terms of things like actually life expectancy and lifespan and other related health issues that untreated ADHD can have some really negative impacts on. Um, and relationships. Yeah. I, I can't help but oh, think yeah. as you're talking, you know, how many people are thinking now, you know, would my relationship have lasted yep. if my partner knew that this was what was going on? Oh, there's no question. Um, and I think because I'm, again, just the way where I'm working with kids, but I'm then seeing their parents and they're talking about it. And the percentage of people who, because we know it has a high rate impact on things like divorce and separation, who it's only after that separation or that divorce that they then understand, oh, this is what was going on. Um, and again, all those things that my spouse was blaming me for, it doesn't, it doesn't mean you don't try to address them, um, absolutely, but it means that understanding um, and perhaps having made some of it a little bit easier, but definitely it's that understanding of I'm not doing this deliberately, I'm not doing this on purpose. Actually, you know what, here are some of the things I'm really good at and I'd love to take on around the house. Here are the things that I will not notice. So if they need to be done, you got to remind me. Uh, and remind me. And remind me. And again, that places a lot of stress because we talk about, um, you know, adult ADHD relationships and not wanting to turn into a parent and not wanting to turn into the nag, but also truly understanding um, things like object blindness as well. Um, they'll often talk about people with ADHD needing to have all of their stuff on display because it's the, well, if I can't see it, I forget it's there. I forget it's around. Um, but it's also, in some cases, the clutter and the mess, they just don't notice. Um, it just kind of blends into the background. And so if you're the one trying to get everybody to clean up after themselves, um, or sometimes they notice, but then something else uh, distracts. There's a great um, story about the cough drop it's the cough drop in the car. And, you know, it's the, oh, right, I should throw that out. Oh, okay, when I get to the gas station, I'll stop and throw that out. And then a week later, seeing it and going, how is it I've gone a week and not managed to do anything about this cough drop in the car? Um, there's a lot of people, I didn't do the story justice, but there's a lot of people who have talked about that being one of those examples where they go, oh, that just summarizes so many parts of my life because it's not just one cough drop. It's, you know, 25, 30 examples like that every single day. My guest today on On Target is uh, Dr. Janine Hubbard, Opening Eyes, uh, Association of Psychology of Newfoundland and Labrador. We'll be back right after this. 
Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. And my guest today on On Target is Dr. Janine Hubbard. This is ADHD Awareness uh, Month. And uh, Dr. Hubbard, you might be delighted to hear that uh, a listener uh, just contacted me and said, you know, this is really eye-opening. This person has a person in their life who has ADHD and says, oh my gosh, there's so much I'm learning here today. So uh, congratulations on that. (laughs) Oh, I'm glad. Listen, it's one of the reasons why I find it so fascinating an area to work in because my understanding of it continues to evolve. Recent conference, again, understanding more the emotion regulation, understanding the impact of hormones. That's a huge new area of research. Um, understanding how it can even affect things like um, the, you know, um, some of your physical movement and your exercise. It's just constantly evolving. And the biggest thing is because there's still so much stigma and so much misunderstanding about it, people don't understand the nuances or they think it's just that hyperactive little boy and they don't understand that internal struggle that it just is so much harder to try to do all the things that everybody else seems to do really easily and if people can hear that message that's going to be huge you have a letter writing campaign is that correct i was going to say if people are interested following up from this i'm going to give you a couple of uh, names that have a lot of c's and a's and d's so bear with me um, if you visit kadak.ca, C-A-D-D-A-C.ca, they are my go-to recommendation for resources for parents, for individuals with ADHD. They are offering a virtual conference in a couple of weeks. They offer free virtual support groups. They offer uh, low-fee uh, parenting groups, and they've got a whole lot of wonderful resources. And they, along with CADRA, C-A-D-D-R, RA, which is the national uh, ADHD group uh, for healthcare professionals, have written a white paper to governments talking about the importance and need for access to ADHD diagnosis, assessment, treatment. Uh, so they've got a really quick link people can click on to say to both your federal and your provincial uh, representative, hey, we need much better access to uh, ADHD uh, assessment and treatment. Um, it's a quick and easy thing they can do. You can find out resources there. Last thing I would say is if you are wondering about this for yourself or your child, again, if you Google just CADRA, C-A-D-D-R-A, adult questionnaires, they're free. You print them off, maybe have a significant other print them off and complete them on your behalf and start that conversation with your family physician. If you have concerns please about your child, please talk to either your family physician or the child's school. There's some screening uh, questionnaires that the school is able to do, um, but don't sit on it um, because we know the longer it goes undiagnosed, um, the more uh, issues that can um, also occur. We didn't get into the fact that we know that things like depression and anxiety often co-occur, especially if uh, an individual hasn't been treated. So the worst you can do is fill in a questionnaire and explore some symptoms about yourself and go, oh, I didn't know that about myself. Maybe that's something I want to follow up on. Or you fill it in and go, oh, no, that doesn't answer the question about some of the things I have going on. I should talk to my physician or I should talk to a psychologist or a counselor about what else might be happening. 
Dr. Janine Hubbard's always an education. I really appreciate your time. I know we could go on and on about this because I had a, a dozen or more questions <laughs> that I never even got a chance to ask. But I really do appreciate your time. We might have to book another show. I was going to say, <laughs> listen, to be continued. To be uh, continued. For sure. Uh, thanks again for the time and the airways. And I'm hoping that, you know, this gets people thinking, that gets them more aware. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Thanks, Linda. And we'll be back tomorrow. Stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening, everyone.